you mean it this morning? No matter the cost, no matter if you lose a job or lose a friend, if you lose your freedom, go to jail. Are you willing and able for the kingdom of God to come to you and through you, no matter what this world says, no matter what entertainment leaders say? Your kingdom come. Sing it out today. Make it a declaration on earth. People are going to jail for this gospel today. People are being persecuted today. People are being martyred today. What's it worth to you? What's it worth? Jesus gave his life for this gospel. So did the disciples. Come on, sing it out. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One more time, your kingdom. Your kingdom. We give our lives up for you today. If you believe it, give God a hand clap of praise. Come on, it's time. Amen. You may be seated. It's time for the kingdom of God to come on this earth like it is in heaven. Amen. Follow Open Doors on Facebook, man. Get woke to what's going on in the Christian world. Get one of these bracelets from me or Lauren after service. People are giving their lives for the gospel right now. Right now. I'm talking just hours ago. Somebody probably gave their life to the Lord, and we're not even aware of it, so follow open door. Just a day or two ago, they invaded a church in Nigeria, murdered those, it was Muslims, murdered those who couldn't say the Shahada, which is their demonic confession of faith. People in India are dying right now for this gospel. People in the Middle East, are you listening, saints? Come on, somebody say, I'm listening. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're not talking about you selling your book on Oprah Winfrey. That's not God's kingdom. Now, can God use that? Yeah, but, but Oprah got to get saved like Kanye. She's got to get really, really saved. She's got to start talking about the real Jesus, not that new age Jesus that she serves. And so that's the thing, man. The world's trying to put you in the closet as they're coming out the closet. Man, I'm not going in the closet. And listen, you don't have to be in the closet either. Just get saved and delivered. We've spent the entire year, well, most of it, 2019, going verse by verse, word for word through the entire book of Matthew. Today, it's the last chapter. Let's give it up for Jesus. It's been a long journey. Just the last two chapters, we read almost 140 verses. Man, that's a lot of reading. I have been going over it in my mind. As you can see, there's no notes. All that's up there is just the scriptures, okay? So there's nothing up my sleeve. But I study myself full so I can preach myself empty. And this entire year, I've just delved deep into uh, what Matthew was saying. And I believe it's encouraged me. I know it has, really, but has it encouraged you? Have you seen the big picture of what God is doing? If you just joined with us, which we always have people doing that, that's awesome. And the great thing about our church is you can go to the app or the website or Facebook, any of those three places, and start from chapter one and go all the way through it. And if you think about it, 28 chapters, I preach about an hour each time, 28 hours. You could have it done within a month just in your commute time. Go back over it, listen to it, and believe it or not, I actually listen to myself at two times the speed. That is fast. I don't know if you could understand me at two times the speed because some of the apps let you do that, but I can understand myself, so you might be able to do it in 14 hours, half the time. But make sure that whatever you have been given by God during this season, during this awesome sermon series, you consider it another plank in your foundation, another brick that you're building upon. As we get into another sermon series, as we do other things, as we get into different books of the Bible, don't forget about what you've learned in Matthew. Can I hear an amen to that? 
Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, last chapter and verse. Great to see everybody here. Next week is going to be a Christmas service. Bring your friends and family. The kids are going to do something real cute. The youth are going to do something really awesome and cool and lit and all of that. And, uh, and then at the end of the year, last Sunday of the year, going to preach a special message, 2020 vision. Because you know it's going to be 2020. Got to be cheesy. You know all pastors are cheesy. So I got to be a little bit cheesy. So come and keep coming and let God transform you by his word. Here we go. Jesus is in the grave. That's where the story ended for us last week. We all know the end of the story. But, but where we ended last week in 27, he's been crucified and buried. Now we're going to see the resurrection. Verse 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, this is why we worship on Sunday. Somebody say first day of the week. So if you ever meet somebody that says God commanded the Jews to be on the Sabbath, why do Christians worship on the, on the first day of the week? The Sabbath is the seventh, and the Sunday is the first day of the week. They say, why did that change? And then they try to be all conspiratorial, and they try to say uh, the sun God was worshipped on this day, and at the Council of Nicaea, they changed it to fit into paganism and all of these things. Uh, most conspiracies have a little bit of truth, but a a whole lot of whackness, okay? Stay away from the whackness of conspiracy theories. This is the reason why the church began to worship on a Sunday or on the first day of the week. And it wouldn't have mattered what the day was called. They didn't even give it a name here. It's just first day of the week. The reason why we do first day of the week is because that's when Christ rose. So in honor of him. Now, Sabbath is still Sabbath. So sometimes people try to say Sunday replaced the Sabbath. Now that's incorrect and somebody would be right to correct you to say that is not right. Sunday has not replaced the Sabbath, but the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Now you might say, Pastor, why is this so important to know? Keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. So if somebody comes up to you and tries to trick you, they'll say, hey, man, do you keep the Ten Commandments? You'll be like, yeah. Do you keep all of them? Yeah. Okay. Do you worship on the Sabbath? No. You're a liar and you broke another one. Thou shalt not lie. And you told me you keep the Sabbath. Oh, see, we got to know our Bible, don't we? See, a lot of people are out there trying to trick us and mislead us. And so do we keep the Ten Commandments, all of them? Technically, no. I know that shocks you, and that's weird, and that doesn't feel right. I should keep all the Ten. And if that means I can have to be at church on the Sabbath, then let's start having church on Saturday. But that's not what you have to do. And I'm going to show you in two places why not. Nine out of the ten you keep, one out of the ten you don't have to keep. Now, can you keep the Sabbath in the same way the Jews did? Sure, you can keep that day. You can keep a whole lot of other days. You can keep Passover. You can keep uh, Pentecost, temp, uh, the Tent of Booze, Festival of Tents, rather. You can keep all of that, but it's been fulfilled in Christ. Let me show you the principle. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Sabbath was given for rest. Jesus rested on the Sabbath day after he created us, and then through the law of Moses we were commanded to worship on the Sabbath day. And remember, that was a day you wouldn't travel very far. So if you want to keep it and you want to go old school to the, the book of the law, you better keep it all. You can't even go more than a quarter of a mile. You can't burn anything. And so if you talk to modern-day Jews, that's why they won't even run electricity. They don't leave their home. You got to be pretty serious about keeping if you're going to be legit to, to the Ten Commandments that, that mention it. So it says uh, this command still stands, and, it hasn't, and, and we want to make sure we don't fall short of it. Okay, so how do I keep it then? Let's keep going. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, talking about the Jews, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So they were hearing that they had to keep the law, but they weren't, and they didn't have faith. They weren't obeying because they didn't have faith. Verse 3, now we who have believed enter that rest. Somebody say, I have believed. Now you have entered that rest. You have entered that Sabbath. 
Just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. How many know the scripture, or at least through a rock song, there's no rest for the wicked. There's no rest for the wicked. Sabbath is about rest. Those who obey Christ are in rest. The Jews had a chance to do that, but they didn't do it. Let's keep going. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. How is God working, yet he's still resting? The idea is God has created, God has done all of these things, and he rested like he taught us to, but he's still been in motion doing all of these things, sustaining the world, moving in our hearts and lives. And so we, too, ought to be in rest like God is at rest. He's not anxious about anything, but we should be doing the will of God. Notice this. The will of God, doing good works, is not considered a work you need a rest from. Some people say, I need a break from church. I need a break from ministry. You need a break from a busted attitude. I don't need a break from ministry. I preach on my vacations. What's wrong with you? Especially those in the ministry, they teach this to people. I need a Sabbath. Well, man, if you need a Sabbath, what about the police officer? What about the firefighter? What about that person answering the phone at Comcast? I know they need a break. Give them a 30-day rest. Is anybody listening to me? Preachers, we're not working in this sense like we're digging a ditch here. We're doing the work of God just like all of you are here doing the work of God. And that should be a joy. And we should live by the principle of always taking a day off and to rejuvenate our body and to get proper sleep and diet, etc. But as you notice here, when God created and made the world, that was considered work. And from that point on, everything that he's been doing is not work in that sense. And so he's at rest in one way, and then he's at, at work in another way. And the work that he's at work with is not a work work unto something that needs to be completed. His work had already been completed at creation. He knows the beginning from the end. And so it's the same thing with us. We are God's workmanship created to do good works. And at salvation, the good work is done at us uh, in, in us. And so we start at the finish line. We, we start winning the trophy. Are you listening? I'm not trying to work to win the trophy of salvation. At the moment I accepted Christ, the trophy was given to me. So we start at the finish line. We start completing Christ. But then the works, the things we do, are not not for salvation. It's out of obedience and joy. That's why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Somebody said, life was never easy. Whoever told you that was a liar. Well, you're calling Jesus a liar? Because he said, my yoke is easy and my load is light. So is he lying? No, because we're supposed to be at rest in him. Let's keep going. That's the principle being brought uh, here to us in chapter 4 of Hebrews. You probably didn't think you would get a lot out of that first verse. They went on the, uh, the first day of the, the week, to you know, the resurrection, all that. You didn't think you'd get that, but that's why you come to this church. Amen? Not to say we're, not, we're the only ones, but you know why you come here. You come to learn. So he said, let me just go back to where it says here. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall now never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again, in the passage above, it says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go into it because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day. Somebody say a certain day. Thank you. Calling it today. What day is it? Today. This is what he said a long time ago through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then, come on, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Did you get that? Just as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore make every effort. Let's work really hard to not make any effort. Isn't that literally what it's saying? It's saying let's rest by working really hard. But what are we making every effort to do? Make every effort to enter that rest. That almost sounds like a contradiction. Make every effort to rest. But what is it saying? By making every effort, you're deciding to obey, believe, be faithful to Christ, and then rest in all the things that he did. You're not working for your own salvation. You're making sure that you're in the salvation of Christ so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So why do we not keep the Jewish law of Sabbath 
in the type and shadow they had where they had all these regulations. Why don't we do that? Because Christ is the rest. He's the real deal. So remember, all of the commands are a shadow. Look at my shadow and look at me. All of these commands, Sabbath, Passover, the, 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 the festival of tents, uh, th- these different days that they had, that's all the shadow. Who is the reality? Christ is the reality. The new covenant is the reality. They had a, a lamb. Jesus is the lamb. They had the kosher diet. Jesus is the kosher diet, which cleanses and changes the heart. They had to make sure that they, they did certain religious duties for a temple. Now in Christ, we are the temple. Because Christ is our high priest, as they had many high priests. Go to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Somebody say, I'm learning. Now I'll make it even more clear. And so can you worship on Saturday? Absolutely. But you can also worship on Sunday. And the Christians knew that. And that's why they began to start worshiping on a new day, different than the Jews, because they knew it had been fulfilled And now they wanted to honor Christ. They wanted the day that Christ had rose on to be their main day. Now, of course, all days are equal, and you can choose any day you want to serve Christ, but that's why we go on Sunday. Now, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Right here towards the end, Paul makes it very clear about how these things are fulfilled in Christ. Let's start in verse 16 of chapter 2 of Colossians. If you're there, say, I'm there. Thank you. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. That's talking about the kosher diet law. So now we're not judged by that. Or with regard to a religious festival, you're not judged by whether or not you keep religious festivals. How many get that? And you're not judged by Christian religious festivals. So you don't have to keep Christmas or Easter if you don't want to. And especially, they didn't have to go back into the other feast days. A new moon celebration or a what? Or a what? Sabbath day. So why do we not have to keep one of the Ten Commandments? One of them is a festival religious day. That's why we get the word in English, holiday, holy day. That's all it is. The I gets changed in the the pronunciation, but it literally just means holy day. So why don't we have to keep the Sabbath as we have to keep the law, thou shalt not lie? And sometimes people think we're inconsistent this way. Oh, you guys think homosexuality is bad because of the Old Testament, but you still eat pork, lechon, and, and, and shellfish. You're so inconsistent. No, we're not. We're very consistent in how we interpret the Bible, RuPaul. RuPaul and Ellen, we're really not picking on you. We're helping you understand the B-I-B-L-E. I wish I knew sign language like Jerry because I just want to spell it out. We're helping you know the Bible. This is why we don't keep the Sabbath, though it's part of the Ten Commandments. The reason why we don't is because it's fulfilled in Christ. Verse 17, these are a... Y'all, man, you ain't even close to woke. You sleepy. Y'all need to get up. Somebody say shadow. Thank you. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So what do you want, my friends? Do you want the iPhone or the shadow of the iPhone? Do you want to worship on Saturday and live like a Jew with the Sabbath? Or do you want Christ who is the Sabbath? Do you want to live in religious holidays and and folklore and all of that? Or do you want the reality of what those holidays and festivals were all about? Get in Christ. Get in Christ. It says, is found in Christ. Get in Christ and you will see the reality of those things. Now, why doesn't the moral law change? The things that have to do with morals, not religious festivals, not food or drink? Why don't morals change? Because morals reflect the unchanging character of our God. That's why he never comes along and goes, hey guys, you can start lying now. I was just really strict in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament, y'all can lie. No, because God has not changed, though the covenants have changed. Does everybody get that? God is not a liar. That's why we don't lie. God is not perverse and an adulterer and a cheater. That's why we're not to be perverse and adulterous and a cheater. God does not steal. That's why he doesn't steal your free will. You have a choice to go to heaven or hell. He doesn't steal you. We don't covet. 
We don't do these things because that is the character of God. So when you read through the scriptures and it says, Thou shalt not lie with a man as one does with a woman, that's a moral law. Then when it says, Thou shalt not eat pork and something that doesn't have the kind of cloven hoof or whatever, that's a dietary law. And the scripture tells us how to do it. So if RuPaul wants to understand our scriptures, just read them, my friend. We're really not being inconsistent at all. It's just now they don't like the morals of our Bible. That's why we always say to them, if you want this to be acceptable, why can't pedophilia be acceptable? And then they go, oh, that's so different. I'm not comparing the act of homosexuality with pedophilia. What I'm comparing it is a disregard for God's morals. If you disregard God's morals here, why can't you disregard God's morals here? I understand homosexuals can be nice, great neighbors, and I love them and want them to, to know Christ, so I have nothing against them. And I'm not saying they're molesting or any of that. But what I'm saying is if I disregard a moral code that God said, thou shalt not lie with a man as thou does with a woman. If I disregard that, then why am I disregarding the, the commands not to rape or to murder or any of these other commands? That's how we look at it as Christians because God is the moral code giver. He is the foundation for all morality. So if we start picking and choosing morals, why not pick and choose from the rest of the list? It's obvious the list that has been fulfilled. Paul in the Bible tells us eating and drinking, festival, holy days. And then as we even read in Hebrews talking about the priesthood and the temple, all of that's been fulfilled in Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Chapter 28, verse 1. Let's go back. After the Sabbath. That day they celebrated their religious day every week. This is the day that that they would have had all of their religious things done. When that was over, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. This is Sunday now, Sunday morning. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Hallelujah. Take that, Buddha. This ain't make-believe. This is the real deal. You know what I'm saying here? Our Jesus rose from the dead. You can find their graves all around the world with flowers on them. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. Isn't that amazing? And is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. What we understand from this point is that Jesus didn't need the, the, um, the rock rolled out of the way for him to come out. He walked through the rock. Does everybody get that? The angel rolls out the, the, the rock so that people can see what has happened. We notice that Christ will walk through walls at another point in the, in the Gospels. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are like surround sound. We're only reading Matthew. If you go up, you'll see a hyperlink right around the beginning of this chapter. Would you show them in the notes, please? You can go and click and see how these things uh, interact with the rest of the Gospels. Right there where it says weak, if you want to understand how these things interact. Never contradictory, always complementary. So Christ, in his spiritual body, like the one we will be getting, can walk through matter. Walk through matter. Now, when we see the women coming here, what do we notice? That this is actually a historical embarrassment for the disciples. Why aren't the men disciples there? Because they pretty much quit. Seriously, Judas has hung himself. Peter's went back to fishing. One of the dudes ran away naked at the arrest. He's probably still trying to get his clothes. They're all hiding. So who are the first witnesses of the greatest event in history? The strong, powerful male disciples? No, the women, who in that culture were not legally to be witnesses, or if they were, they weren't taken very serious. 
We understand that God made male and female equal in the image of God, not one more than the other. Both male and female reflect the parts or the characters of God, and when they come together, they become one. And by becoming one in their, in their differences and uniting together, they show the fullness of the image of God. That's how he made us. So when he wanted to make a physical representation of his character, he couldn't do it in one gender or in one person. And so he made male and female. That does not mean God is a hermaphrodite. That does not mean anything like that. God is not a sexual being. So when he made beings that would have sexuality, that's how he had to do it. He was limited by matter, space, and time. But let's not now reflect us back to him and say he's sexually hermaphrodite or he's sexually transgender or something. That's incorrect. When God the Spirit made mankind in physical dust of the earth image, it was multiplicity, male and female. And in their sexuality, they make children. In our sexuality, we make children and we procreate and we share in the wonderful work of God of having dominion on the earth. And that was taken because of Satan and and our rebellion. And that's why Jesus came to die on the cross. Amen? Amen. And now he's raised from the dead and the women are the ones there. They're like, man, I know he's going to do something awesome because I believe him and I want to go see what's going on. And then the angel tells them, He's gone. He's risen. He's already left. Go meet him at Galilee. Let's go to verse 8. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. How many know that would be probably how you and I would be? Afraid, but filled with joy. Like, man, what's going on? I don't know, but I'm happy. I'm happy. Something cool is happening here, you know, but I'm also a little bit afraid, you know, trying to figure it all out. They went away They were afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So who were the first witnesses in the Bible? The women. Isn't that amazing? So all women, take your place and be witnesses. Amen? Take your place at the table. Don't let men outwitness you. You be witnesses for Christ. Hallelujah. And it says, suddenly, Jesus met them. Now, let's just talk about this suddenly Jesus met them thing. When we think about being me up, Scotty, and them going through matter, and we think about the, the, the different movies that we watch, like Thor and transporting themselves, you know, from Asgard, why is it when we look at science fiction, we say, you know what, this is believable in that world? You know, like, we, like no one's walking out of these Avenger movies going, that is so stupid, that's so unbelievable, that's ridiculous. I don't want to watch a man fly in tights. I don't want to, that's ridiculous. No, but why is it we can enter into that world and go, that's, that's possible. It's possible. But when we read the Bible, we become so skeptical and we say, now that's fiction, it's impossible. The reason is, is because we're closing ourselves off to the reality that God is our creator. See, God as our creator can do in the world what a CGI artist or a computer uh, worker can do in a movie. Now, notice when we go to Avengers or watch fiction, we never see a character that's a married bachelor or their shield is made that in the shape of a square circle. Why is it we can't see that even in a fictional movie? Because even in a fictional movie, the laws of logic apply. You can't have a square circle. There's no such thing. You can't have a married bachelor. Which one is he? It's impossible to be both at the same time. And so when we look at the Bible, we see no contradiction of logic. We see no contradiction in logic that he walks through a a rock. There's nothing illogical about him just appearing. Boom. What we do see is that there's a power at work that we may not understand. And so now technology produces power for us that maybe they wouldn't have been able to understand 2,000 years ago. Cell phone technology, Wi-Fi, etc. And I believe when we get to heaven, we'll understand spiritual power in the natural world. Because, yes, we believe in a big bang. We just know who what? Banged it. It's God who put everything in motion. So can God enter into his creation like I can enter into a VR world and create things? Yes, he can do that, and there's nothing illogical about that. Jesus appears before them. And actually, in another gospel on the road to Emmaus, Jesus changes his physical form to play a trick on them. So they do not recognize him because he doesn't look like he did before. Is that, once again, illogical? No, because what is a body but made out of the matter, made out of these things, these particles? Cannot God rearrange them any way he wants? 
You know, we look in heaven and we see talking creatures in there that have different faces, one like a bull, the other one like, a, like an eagle, etc. And we're like all freaked out, like, man, how can that be? How do you think you talk, Jack? How do you think you got the ability to talk? The only difference between you talking and barking like a dog is what God gave you. God could give the dog the ability to talk if he wanted to. There's nothing illogical in that. What we're not saying is that God uses the things that we would call like the vocal cords of a dog to do it. No, he gives vocal cords of a human to do it, and he doesn't contradict himself. So when Jesus is walking through a wall, he's not, he's not like doing some new age thing, like walking through a wall like as if you tried it. He's doing it based on a different set of laws. Not contradictory laws, but a different set of parameters in the code. So I'm not saying a dog naturally can speak. We know better than that. Like the Bible says a donkey spoke in the Bible or a snake. We know that's not natural, but we believe in something that supersedes natural. We believe in the supernatural. What does that just mean? Higher laws. Laws that are beyond just the laws we have discovered. Can I hear an amen to that? Boom, Jesus appeared. What's up, y'all? Greetings. He said to them, they came to him, clasped his feet, and they did what? Worshiped him. Now we know exactly who Jesus is. The veil has been taken off. Let's look at who Matthew wanted us to know from day one who Jesus is. Let's go to Matthew chapter one. Everybody open up your Bibles. I'm going to show you the conclusion of the matter in just a moment. But I want you to see from the very beginning, uh, Matthew has been teaching us about Jesus in a very subtle way in comparison to John and his gospel. John in his gospel starts off with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? Was God. Boom. He starts you right in the beginning. This is who he is, y'all. He's always existed. He's actually our creator. And the great thing about that is, is he came in the flesh so that he could die for us. That's how John 1, 1 starts. But now look at Matthew. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What he wants to do is start building up his point. Jesus, he's the Messiah. Because remember, Matthew's writing after all of this has happened, and as he tells the story, he wants you to go on a journey with him to discover who this great person was. And he's more than just a mere man. He is God in the flesh, the God-man. So he starts off by telling us Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and he comes from the line of David, David, and Abraham. Now, he's going to point out three major prophecies that are going to tell us exactly Exactly about who he is. And when he ends his story, it is the conclusion. And you're supposed to go, I got it. That's, that's right. That's, it. that's who Jesus is. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you have to understand many names, even up until this point, contain the name of God. Like Elijah. Elijah is Eli, is God. My God, Eli, is Yah. Yah, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Elijah, my God is Yah. That's, that's the name Elijah. So they would have these names, and God would be in their names. But this is a very specific name. God is now here with us. And I'm sorry for those of you who have named your child Emmanuel, but it could be taken a little bit of blasphemy. You say, why? Because this name alone was to be given to a God-man. Now you say, what about Jesus? That is not the same with Jesus. Joshua means Yah, God saves. Yua, he saves. And so that's okay. That's like Elijah. But technically speaking, Emmanuel, El there at the end, God. And Eman, and how they pronounce it in Hebrew, is God with us. And so literally when you were supposed to look at Jesus, because we know his name is going to be Jesus, but he's also going to be called Emmanuel. How is that? He's going to have two names. No, the name here describes who he is. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It already tells him right here and give him the name Jesus. It's in the same passage. It's not like Matthew forgot what he was doing here, okay? But the reason why he's called Emmanuel here and then the name Jesus is what he'll walk around being known as is because this name is describing him. 
It's like Joe is going to be the pastor. So the pastor is describing what I'm going to be doing, but you're going to call me Joe. So get this. I don't want to make you guys feel bad if you've called your children Emmanuel, but you have to understand nobody was walking around with that name going, I'm Emmanuel, because that literally meant I'm God with you. That's literally what it meant, and it was reserved for the child that was going to be given to them. Now, if you notice it, the Bible says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, but that's not his creation. That's not where he starts. He has come from of old. How do we know that? Let's keep going. Chapter 2, verse 6, the Magi come to visit the Messiah because he's born in Bethlehem. That's a prophecy being fulfilled. It says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So out of Bethlehem is going to come a ruler, and he's going to shepherd Israel. Everybody get that? Come on, are are you getting this? Amen. I know you guys just want to hear the Christmas story. You'll get that next week with the kids singing. But can we put on our thinking caps right now? Okay. This is the prophecy. Out of Bethlehem will come a ruler. Let's keep reading that passage in Micah. That's where it comes from. Go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. How many are glad Jesus fulfills prophecy? That's why all these false Christs are false indeed. They don't fulfill prophecy like our Jesus. And there can only be one Jesus. And now the false prophets want to be like, the spirit of Jesus is in me and told me to finish his work. That's what Reverend Sung Young Moon said. He's a liar. Jesus didn't need to finish, have somebody finish his work. Or the false Christ of uh, the Philippines. You know, he said, I'm the appointed son of God. He came to me and appointed me as himself to rule and reign. No, my, my friend, Jesus said, uh, the angel said, as he went up to heaven in a cloud, he's coming back in a cloud. The whole world will see him and he'll judge the earth. You don't get to have some reincarnation of Jesus story going on. But Yet people believe, and many of them Christians. Why? Because they don't know the prophets and how Jesus fulfilled it. It's impossible for somebody to fulfill it now or to have anything to do with it. The only way now Jesus can come back is as the God-man, shining brighter than the sun, judging the earth, and showing us his creative power. There's no more veil anymore, in other words. Look at it. But from you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, although you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler of Israel. Sounds familiar, right? Comma, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That is the same terminology used of the ancient of days in Daniel. This one has no beginning. He's from when time began. That's right there in chapter 2 of our Christmas story. That's the second major prophecy that we see Matthew wants us to get as the story's beginning. And then lastly, let's go to chapter 3 of Matthew. As we hear about John the Baptist preaching, he's a messenger, right? And they, they want to know more about what his message is about and what he's called to do. Look at what it says. He says, this is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Go to Isaiah 40 verse 3. Literally John the Baptist is saying, I'm sweeping, I'm paving, I'm preparing a road, a path for the Lord to come. Now many of us are so used to calling Jesus Lord, Lord Jesus, so forth, that we don't understand the connotation of the word Lord for the Jewish person. For the Jewish person, only God is Lord. Only God is Yahweh, or only Yahweh is God. Notice here, as you look in this English translation, that the word Lord is all in caps. Just gently highlight over this, please. This is the divine name of God. Literally, what John the Baptist was saying is, I'm preparing the way of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He is coming. So when Jesus came, he cannot just be a prophet. He is the God of the prophets. I am preparing the way of Jehovah. And so Jehovah comes. Go to Genesis chapter 18. Had Jehovah come and met with the people before? Had Jesus done this before? Yes. But what is unique now about the Gospels? He has on flesh. Jesus is now as a man, not just coming in the image, likeness of a man, but he's actually taking on the nature of a man. Look at in Genesis 18, 1 and onward. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now highlight this other NIV right there. Put John 1, 18. Why is that so important to understand? this. The Jews knew no one can see God and live. The principle was we can't live and see God's presence. It's too great. 
And even in the New Testament, it reiterates this, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Now go back, to, uh, go back to Abraham's encounter, but the Lord appeared to Abraham. Do you see the contradiction? What's the problem? The problem is they did not understand the Son. The Son represents the Father, but the Son is not the Father. What's going to be the difference now according to John the Baptist as he is a messenger preparing the way of Jehovah? Is he's not coming as a spirit being looking like a man. He's going to be born of a virgin and be very truly man. And what's the purpose of him being truly man? That he can die on the cross for men's sins, men and women's sins. And what's the purpose of his resurrection? Is so that we who are doomed to death can now have a resurrected body. That is the bookends of Matthew's understanding of Jesus. Put it all together as we go back to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, the one from of old, Emmanuel, God with us, is born of a virgin so that God might be among men. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. Go back to John 1.18 maybe finish that off for everybody. No one has ever seen God. No one's seen the Father, but the one and only Son who is himself God and his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. No one has seen the Father, but we've seen Jesus. In the Old Testament, we saw him in our image, or we were in his image, but we saw him like a man. But in the New Testament, he comes as a man, a real man. That's why he's tired. That's why he has to use the bathroom. That's why he says he doesn't know everything. He is humbling himself as a man to live like us, but perfect without sin to be our sacrifice. Now, let's go back to chapter Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus appears to them. He says, greetings. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. What you worship, no one else but God. Yet Jesus doesn't refuse the worship. In the Bible, when they tried to worship angels, the angels say, don't worship me. When they try to worship good men, the men say, don't worship me. But Jesus receives the worship because he's the one being worshiped in all of eternity. He's used to our worship. But now as the God-man, there's something unique. He has now become like us to redeem us. And so we're worshiping him now in a status, in a place where he will forever be. He was always the son of God, but now he has become the son of man. He has married them together. We call that the hypostatic union. So in heaven, you will see him in his flesh, his glorified flesh, like you'll have flesh, but nonetheless, he will have flesh for all of eternity because that seals our redemption. That seals our resurrection because Jesus defeated the death, uh, death, hell, and the grave. We get to defeat death, hell, and the grave. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus, or excuse me, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, verse 11, and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Man, you know, this, this resurrection has happened. So they went to tell them, but instead of believing, the chief priests made a plan with the elders and devised this plan that they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night, stole him away when we were asleep. So let's lie about this. Rather than believe the truth, they believed a lie. Isn't that the, the, the story of so many here today in our culture? They would rather believe a lie than the truth. Think about that. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble because you can get in trouble for raiding a tomb that the, the guards were over, that Rome was over. You can't break a Roman seal. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. Now watch this. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So around 60 AD, when Matthew is writing this story to his disciples, he's saying, you guys might hear this is what happened. People might tell you, no, he didn't rise from the dead. We stole his body. And Matthew's saying, that's not true. This is how it happened. Now, let me ask you something. Do you know of any person that willingly dies for a lie they know they made up? How about this? Do you know anybody that's willing to die for a lie they made up and it gives them no benefit? No benefit. 
Why would these Jewish men and women who had believed in only one God, who were great Jews, kept the commands, all of these things, why would they now tell lies based on the one that they felt had already failed them because he was crucified while they were afraid? Why would they now tell a lie like it's a weekend at Bernie's type movie? They take a dead body and go, oh, he's alive. Why would they tell that when they know the Jews are going to hate them? So their own people are not going to give them any love, and the Romans are going to now want to crucify them just like how Jesus was crucified. What benefit do they get out of that, number one? And then number two, why is it in all of history none of them ever break and go, don't kill me or my children, I made it up, I was there with Peter, we took the body. As a matter of fact, as we study through church history, they all die on that testimony. Vicious death, except for John, and yet John is tortured Why is it they kept their testimony? It's because they weren't telling a lie. Now, every time I say this, people misunderstand this to say, have people sincerely believed lies? That's not what I'm saying. A Muslim sincerely believes when he flies that plane into the Twin Towers, he's going to heaven. But remember, he does not believe a lie he has told himself. You can be deceived and sincerely be deceived. Like communists, like Muslims, like Buddhists, whatever. I mean, I'm not, and even like we've talked about the bad things of Christian history. You can be deceived. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, have you ever known of a people group to make up a lie? They knew it was a lie. Like they're literally going around saying, dude, have you been buried? You know, have you done something with this body yet? Because people are going to find it. But let's keep telling everybody he's alive. Like they literally make up a lie That benefits them nothing in their culture. It leads them to death, and yet no one renounces it. It's unheard of. It's not how humans are. We don't act like that. And the reason why this is so important that we hear this part of the story is is because we understand from day one people try to come up with reasons to what actually or what they thought happened instead of just believing what actually happened. And even now today, modern scholars try to tell stories about what they think happened to Jesus, but none of their stories match the reality. Sometimes they say, oh, it was hallucinations, like how if you're missing your grandma and you see her in your sleep or you get woken up and you think you see her by the door, that's not the stories they're telling, that they saw a spirit being. They are saying they ate with him. They hung out with him. He talked to many of them, even 500 at one time. He has like a service with them. And then they watch him ascend to heaven. There is no record of group hallucination on that level. Nothing in human history. You'd be literally going out of your way to believe that lie than to accept the truth. Others try to say this is myth. It's written years and years later. But to do that, they have to then say Peter's a myth. So they start saying there's a lot of myth here. Jesus is a myth. Peter is a myth. All these people are myths, except there's a problem. All of the history at this time says they were alive doing X, Y, and Z. And lastly, the last thing that I think just seals the nail on even what modern scholars or skeptics try to say against the resurrection is Paul's conversion. We always take Paul for granted in the Bible, like, oh, he's that Jewish guy that gets saved because he gets knocked down and he gets blind and all of that. But you have to go to the context of the story. Why does a man who is killing Christians because he thinks he's a good Jew, why does he convert, say he's met him, and then himself get beheaded, and all we know about his history is he was consistent to his testimony the entire time. The other disciples received his own writings and he wrote the majority of their book, the New Testament. If anyone would have doubted him, it would have been the Christians at that time. Yet he's an outsider. He comes in with this powerful conversion story, writes most of the New Testament, dies himself. And everyone knows Paul was real. Wow. You see what we begin to understand as modern day Christians is that something supernatural took place. Jesus gave up his life so that he could die for us, and he rose up his life. God entered into creation to die so that we might live, and his resurrection is our hope. We will be raised with him one day. Amen? Amen. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, so they finally get caught up here, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Do you see the reality of our history here? We're not trying to make them look good in our myth. We're being honest with you as they're 
retelling the story, they're like, even then some didn't believe. Can you think of some? Doubting Thomas. He was like, unless I touch him, put my hand in his side, I won't believe. So it's not like they took the women's word. It's not like once they first saw him, they were like, I'm good with this. They still needed more evidence. God gave them all that they needed. It wasn't a weekend at Bernie's type thing. Weekend at Bernie's is about a man who died on a vacation. They kept him alive so that they wouldn't look like the murderers, okay? They're not dragging around Jesus' body to try to you know, tell people he's raised from the dead. Or as others have said, maybe the Romans, they weren't good at killing people. And in the tomb, he resuscitates and he comes back. Yeah, a dude with 39 lashes all over his body, bloodied from the crown of thorns, pierced from a Roman side. He's walking around going, I'm raised, and everybody starts worshiping him. No, they'd be like, dude, we feel sorry for you. That didn't go very well, did it? You know, he's got like patches all over his body. You know, he barely can walk. You know, he's sipping juice from a straw. You're not worshiping that guy. You're like, nice try, Jesus. No, they looked at him resurrected in full glory, walking through walls, talking to them. But what the reality is, still some doubted. If Adam and Eve, everybody get this. If Adam and Eve created in the image of God, miraculously, living in a garden they knew God created, talking to a snake that they knew would be impossible because other animals didn't talk, if they in that world could still doubt God and sin against him, there's no proof that's going to get beyond your free will. You know, my wife could do everything to prove she loves me, but that's my choice to believe it or not. And how many know if I have it in my heart to want to cheat, I won't believe it no matter what she does. And yeah, people do that all the time. They manipulate when they talk to you. They're saying, I need more evidence. I need more evidence. Sometimes, you know, to believe, all you need to do is just ask them this. If I showed you all the evidence in the world, would you obey the God of this Bible? Like you're talking to the homosexual community. Well, just prove it, prove it. Okay, let's say I prove it. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is true. Would you stop being gay? Would you stop living that way? Maybe your emotion will still feel that way, but I'm saying, will you stop acting on it? Those of you who are living in adultery, would you stop doing it? If, if you would know the proof is there in the pudding, would you obey the command? And they'll tell you, no, I still wouldn't obey that God. I'll go obey some other God. See, that's the problem. It's a heart issue, not a head issue. Because I offer them proof all the time. I watch people's minds get blown on the streets, you know. And they're like, man, I never thought about that. I never realized that. Oh, you taught me something today. And then I go, hey, man, you ready? You ready to repent now of your lifestyle? You ready to give up your sin as I've given up my sin? No, no, no. I still don't want to do so. Man, guys, Judas knew Jesus was all of that, and he still betrayed him. Okay? Adam and Eve knew all of that, and they still walked away. The idea is, once again, as we said before, tying this in, thou shalt not steal. God's never going to make you believe. You have to decide to believe. Here's the last portion of the scripture, and here's how we now live it out. This is our part right here. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Didn't he have it before? Yes, but man had lost it. That's why he became a man. So why is he given authority? Because some people will say, if he's God, why does he need to have authority given to him? He's already had it. Why did he become a man? Because man had lost the authority. Now as God and man, he got back the authority. Amen. And he says, it's all been given to me. So all governments belong to him. All businesses belong to him. All the resources of the earth belong to him. And now what does he want us to do? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. He's talking to disciples to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So with Christ's resurrection, we started the last days, technically at Pentecost, but the last age is upon us until judgment and then the kingdom of God on earth. So this is that age where the gospel is to be preached. And if you notice, we saw the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the baptism. The Father is speaking, Son is being baptized, Holy Spirit coming down. We saw the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit at the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus on the mountain glowing, the, the, the Father speaking and the cloud of his presence, the Holy Spirit being there. And now he reveals to us the mystery of who our God has been from the very beginning when it said, let us make man. From the very beginning when it says God came and met with them, yet nobody had ever seen God. Or Moses is talking to God. Now we know he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, not three parts of God, one God. 
manifesting as three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And yet they share the one nature of God. And then notice this. He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Even yesterday on the streets, we had the joy of arguing with Christians again about how we should do ministry. For some reason, they have nothing better to do yet be backslidden with us. Okay, if you want to vomit on us a little bit, your backslidden stuff will listen to you and will try to help you. Because I just think of it as puke. As the Bible says, I will puke you out of my mouth, Revelation 3.16. But how many know we still love backsliders? So as they were trying to talk with us, one actually came to the mic and he said, shouldn't you from the, he talking to me, shouldn't you from the microphone talk about more of the nice things of Christianity instead of calling out the sin of abortion, the sin of homosexuality, adultery, and whatever else we were talking about in Logan Square, which is one of my favorite places to tell people about sin. Uh, there at the train stop on Milwaukee and what's the corner street there? Kedzie, thank you. So love doing it. And they're like, shouldn't you kind of just ease them into it? Ease them. Start with the little stuff like God loves you and has a plan for your life. And he wants to make you giggle every day. And then on the sneaky sneak, after they've come to your church for a while, then tell them about the other stuff. Like, hey, I'm a secret service Christian. I'm undercover. And I got a secret to tell you. And after I tell you, you can't tell anybody. Okay, here's the secret. You're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. I know it's crazy. But don't tell anybody else that. Because then everybody else might leave our church. I could give you names of the hip churches in this city to look at their Google page. And it literally says, uh, as a man or as a woman speaking, me and my lesbian partner went to this church for months. And we wanted to become leaders. And we wanted them to marry us. And then they told us they wouldn't do it. But we were there for years. Why didn't they tell us this before? It seems so hypocritical. Not here. (laughs) You'll know exactly where we stand here. Thank you very much. Why? Because we love you. It's not like we're upset with you. We love you. We love all kinds of sinners. Come here and let God make you a saint. If you don't want to do that, you can go back to the tight pant wearing elf shoe uh, uh, church if you want, okay? You can go to the Keebler elf church. It tore up jeans and all that. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong. Some of you guys like that fashion. But I'm saying I'm not a Keebler elf that don't know how to sew and fix holes in my jeans, okay? I'm not here to have my neck skinny pants, you know, and then my little pointy shoes. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here to do that and wear a blouse. That's not me. Sashaying across the pulpit up here. I'm not here to do that. I'm just here to give you the word. And I'll dress like the 1990s probably to the day I die. But that's all right. I got stuck there. Pray for me. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you want to know the commands of God, we're going to teach them to you. How much time do you got? We'll go through the rest of them right now. We we should never be ashamed. Listen, we should never be ashamed to teach people to obey everything God said. I know it may not come up in every conversation. And honestly, I'm not bringing every single command up in my conversations. But if I'm with you and you're cursing, I'm going to tell you about the command to have wholesome words come out of your mouth. If I'm with you and you're my coworker and you're living in an adulterous affair, I'm going to tell you that that's a sin. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm going to help you with that. Now, it doesn't say here, and become perfect at obeying all the commands, and then you can teach everybody else the commands. Because the first thing, when you start telling people about their sin, they're going to be like, well, don't you sin? Don't you sin? Okay, we'll try that with the police, you know. Police pulls you over. He caught you speeding. But nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Come on, let me off. Or try that after, you know, you're in court and you're there for murder or something. Hey, I've been a good person most of my life. 30 seconds of murder doesn't, shouldn't change that, right? Don't put me in jail. My friends, sin is sin no matter who you are. And I don't have to always be perfect at keeping the commands to help you know them. What I have to do is show you I obey them too. And when I don't, I obey another command called repentance. So if you ever see me sin and I don't repent, then come rebuke me. But if you ever see me sin and then you see me repent, be like me. How about that? Be like me as I follow Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There has to be people on this planet that are actually doing it. Like Christianity is not some mysterious religion where there's actually never really a Christian. Because we're all a bunch of hypocrites and we're all a bunch of jacked up people. So no one's really living this out. No, I'm living it out. And when I don't, I repent. But that's part of living it out. So I want to teach you to obey everything he commanded. And then lastly, this precious promise, he's with us always. 
always, think about all the places you've been and remember God has been with you. And think of all the places you fear. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Think about all the places you and I fear being at a gravesite of somebody we love or losing our job or being at a, 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 in a war or something. The Bible says he'll be with us always. Can I hear an amen for that? Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus, our resurrected Lord and Savior? We love you, Lord. Come on, not for me. Let's give it up for Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Congratulations on finishing the book of Matthew. I hope that it's encouraged you. Let's close out applying what we've learned today. Let's make sure that we have Christ in our hearts in our lives. And if today you have sin in your life and you're not obeying Christ in the way you should, would you be one of the first to come up here and repent and get right? Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. God loved you so much he gave you Jesus. He rose from the dead so you could have a new life. People say all the time, but I was born this way. Yeah, get born again. Another way. That's why Jesus died. A few moments right now. Look at your hearts. Look at your lives. Is Jesus the Lord of your life today? If he's not, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. If you've tried this before and then you backslid or something went wrong or you got junk in the trunk, repent of that stuff right now. Leave out of here being an obedient disciple. I plead with you. We'll dismiss in just a few moments and let those who want prayer to come forward. But let's look at our hearts and lives right now. Jesus, show us who we really are. I know you love us. I know you love us. You died for us. You rose for us. You care about us. You want us to go into the world and make other followers, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that you taught. Teach us to be good fathers and mothers. Teach us to be who you called us to be on our jobs. Oh, God, let us not be mean, but let us be truthful in this generation. We don't want to be mean. Come on but don't you want to be truthful? Facts over feelings. This is what God said. I believe it. I'll obey it. A few moments right now. Search your hearts, then we'll dismiss. And those who want prayer, you can come. Even if you want to come now, you can. Jesus, we welcome you here because we know you're everywhere we go. But today, we take a moment to acknowledge that. And we welcome your presence to change our lives, rearrange us. Do for others what you did for me when I was 18 years old, 1995. Oh, God, save them. Rearrange us. A few moments right now can change your life. Next week we'll be celebrating the birth of Christ, but this is the end of the story. This is why he came, for sinners to save us, to get back in the kingdom, to obey what he gave us to obey, to live for Jesus. Father, thank you for this great service. Son of God, thank you for your sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence that does everything the Father and Son promised. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Bless the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. You are dismissed. We'll see you at Life Groups. Come next week with your friends and family. Otherwise, we're going to worship right now. Come up for prayer. Thank you, Lord. If you want to dedicate your life to God, come on up. If you have any issues in your life, come on up. God is able to change us, rearrange us. It's time to experience the love of God in a new way. I'm seeing things no eye. Thank you for coming. God bless you as you go. Those who want to stay, feel free to worship or to pray with us.
coming in. 